Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Mike Long, CEO and founder of Cosly, a DevOps tool that's raised 3.5 million in funding. Mike, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, can we just start a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm a technologist, uh, I studied computer science. Uh, I spent 10 years in industry working in places like uh, England and Norway and China, making robots for the oil and gas industry. And I've always been interested in tech and how tech teams deliver their work. Like as a student, I was into extreme programming and test-driven development, CI, these kind of things that ended up being part of DevOps. Uh, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Then I spent five years building a DevOps consulting business. And then since then, I've been working at Cosly. Nice. Very cool. A few questions we'd like to ask. And the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick. First one, what founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Well, actually, I've got quite a few. And... It's kind of related to uh, some of our funding history. So we're very lucky enough to have uh, Heavybit as our investors. And inside Heavybit, there's some extremely talented and experienced founders in the dev tool space who I, I look up to a lot. Can you share any specifics? Yeah, sure. So like uh, Jesse, Jesse Robbins was one of the founders at Chef. Chef was one of the very early tools around uh, DevOps and infrastructure automation. Kind of one of the, if you like, the first wave of DevOps tools to, to break through into the market. What about books and how we like to frame this? And this comes from Ryan Holiday. He calls them quake books. So a quake book is a book that really just rocks you to your core, really influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quake books come to mind? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess the book that's had the most influence on the way I think about many things in business and life is a book called uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And it comes from, it's from the 60s, it's written by Thomas Kuhn who was a PhD student at the university. And he, as part of his PhD, he was teaching history of uh, basically the scientific method since the Enlightenment. And the reason why it's had such a big impact on me is that it talks about, you know, we think about science as a process of incremental, so we say accumulation of knowledge. We have a hypothesis, we test it, we gather data, and then we, we validate or discard the hypothesis. And we go around in this loop accumulating evidence. And this is kind of how we think science progresses and how we've kind of gotten to where we are today. And what's interesting about what Kuhn talks about in the structure of scientific revolutions is, well, that's kind of only a very small part of the story. Actually, what tends to happen in fields of scientific endeavor is that you go through revolutions. So for the most part, you go through this small incremental, what he calls normal science, until the findings that you gather from that process accumulate anomalies. You get more and more problems with the existing theories until, you know, the existing theories just don't hold their weight anymore. And the field ends in a crisis. And the only way out of a crisis is through a, a new theory, a revolution. And this is where the term, the paradigm shift comes from. The field creates a new paradigm in which to have the basis of their knowledge. So you've seen this with, for instance, uh, Newton, with Copernicus, with quantum mechanics with uh, fields around gene science and so on. So for the most part, we feel like we're in a, a, like a very normal period of incremental, but all of a sudden, everything we know is thrown out and we start again. And once you know the pattern, you see it 
all over the place, right? I, I mean, software is the closest example to my heart where, I mean, software is a young field since the thirties, I guess you could, you could argue, but up until we'll say the nineties, we had this idea that we'd use engineering practices to, to make software. So you would gather requirements, make a plan, build the thing, test the thing, and then you would push it off into the, into real world use and operate it. Like you would like, basically we took the same approach as bridge builders or any other civil engineering discipline. And I guess what you see with agile and DevOps and more of the modern ways of working is that actually that doesn't really fit for software. And like nobody does big requirements documents or builds software for three years and then releases it anymore. That, that just wouldn't make sense anymore. That's just like one example of where I see like the scientific revolution and paradigm shift happening all over the place. I mean, it's a bit of a tired phrase, paradigm shift now. It's, it's overused, but the ideas in that book are fantastic. Yeah, I feel like marketers got a hold of that phrase and have used it and abused it now, but definitely sounds like a fascinating book. That's one of the things I love most about doing this podcast is every interview is a chance to you know, hopefully learn about a new book that I haven't heard of. And that's definitely a book I haven't heard of, but sounds fascinating. And I'll add it to cart here right after the interview. Okay, great. Oh, I, I should say something about that book, actually, is that it's an awful book to read. Uh, it's it's so hard and dense, but it's definitely worth it for the concepts. Yeah. How how big are we talking here? Is this like a, a thousand page book that I'm going to have to push myself through or uh, how? No, 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 not at all. So it, it's quite brief, but it's dense. It's, uh, it's very, very dense. So um, yeah, it took me a couple of reads through before I really felt like I could really hold on to what I'd learned. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate the advisory notice. I'll, I'll keep that in mind as I, as I go into it. Let's switch gears now and let's dive deeper into the company. So how we like to begin this part of the conversation is, you know, let's focus on the problem and let's talk about the problem. So what problem do you solve? So actually just going back to my career a little bit, this period I had between building robots and running Cosly, I had this five-year period where I was in DevOps consulting. So I worked with lots of companies, usually in places where DevOps was trickier to do. So we worked with automotive companies, banks, defense industries, safety critical systems, healthcare. And, you know, everyone thought they had very unique problems. It was, I have to meet an ISO standard or the regulators are going to need some paperwork or one of the big four accounting firms are going to come and audit me for IT risk and I have to follow an SDLC. When you zoomed out, it was exactly the same thing everywhere, where it's, you have to have a process about how you manage your risks and follow and do your work. You need to follow that process. And then thirdly, you need the receipts. So like an analogy I like to use to non-technical folks or folks not in this space is it's kind of like when you go and buy a coffee, right? If you go for a coffee, you, you go into the coffee shop, you ask for your cappuccino, you pay with your card and you walk out. Everyone gets what they want. The, the shop's got their money, you've got your coffee, and there's uh, everyone's happy. Now, if you're going and you're taking your team for work into the coffee shop and you're buying everyone a coffee on the company dime and the company credit card, then, then all of a sudden you actually need a receipt. You're going to take this, this little receipt and you're maybe going to take a picture of it. It's going to go in an accounting system that will be perhaps have tax implications and will be audited against perhaps. So if you're buying coffee in that context, then you absolutely need the receipts, right? And software is a bit like that. A lot of software engineers don't need receipts for how they do their work. But if you happen to make software in a bank or software that goes into a car braking system or um, any number of these regulated industries, then 
actually these receipts are really important. So what we do in Cosly is automate the collection of all this evidence to prove that for every single change, you've followed your process. And when the auditors come, you're not looking around in different tools and different logs and different files to find the proof to satisfy them. In terms of the ICP, what types of companies are you know, experiencing this problem the most and, and paying you money to solve it? Well, our current customer base is really diverse, but I would say a big part of it would be financial services. So if you're doing platform engineering in a bank or a crypto exchange, or you're doing any kind of DevOps in a place that has audits. So it could be financial, it could be because you're dealing with medical records, it could be any number of reasons, but these are the types of places that are ideal for us. As I was doing research for this interview, I was, you know, looking through your website, I noticed the branding and the branding is just very good. It's very, very good branding. And I saw on your LinkedIn, you also own a branding agency. So that made a bit more sense to me. Can you talk to me about your philosophy when it comes to branding for B2B tech products like this? Well, we've taken a bit of a contrarian position on this. So I have to say all the branding is down to so the great talented people in my company. So JC, who's our creative head, if you like, and and Bruce, who does a lot of our copy work. This is really their home turf. But I should say, like our customers tend to be very, shall we say, straight people in terms of very square, what we call A4 in Norway. You know, they wear suits or shirts and collars when they go to work. They follow a process. There's a lot of blue in their world. And, you know, we want it to be a little bit contrary to that. We want it to be colorful, different, fun. And, you know, audit and compliance and security tend to be very dry subjects. And it, we're trying to kind of make it seem like there's a fun alternative to this. So that was a big part of our focus for sure. What about growth and adoption? Are there any numbers and metrics that you can share? Well, I mean, a lot of our metrics are quite proprietary, especially when it comes to, because we are sitting on the audit trail for our customers, that there are some things that, but in broad terms, what I can say is that it's just fascinating to see how much change there are in technology orgs when you actually pay attention. So one of the, our newest customers in the US, they have over a million changes to production a year just for one product. Wow. And you think, well, how does that happen? How is that even possible? The first part is, well, okay, it's coming from somewhere, but there's so much automation in the world. So software changes, imagine a, a world where you've got a hundred developers all pushing commits all day, every day around the clock. And then on top of that, you've got your autonomous systems that are scaling up and scaling down systems. And when you add it all together, there's just a phenomenal amount of change in most, especially distributed microservices architectures. So. What we see is that for our customers, the rates of change are growing and growing and growing. And if you were to go and look at like the change database and uh, like a more traditional company, there might be a change every couple of weeks in that database, but that's not the whole truth, right? There's definitely more to change than meets the eye. So like the big trend I see is that more and more systems are creating more and more change across all of our customers. And it's great to have metrics on those things. I, I think that's it's a good point, Brett. I'd love to actually uh, start to share some numbers publicly about how we see just the rate of change increasing. And even within an organization, it's, it's, it's fascinating. When we look at marketing and, and the growth that you're seeing and the adoption that you're seeing, what do you think you're getting right? And what are you doing to rise above all of the noise? Obviously, there's just a lot of 
DevOps tools out there today. What have you done to rise above all the noise from all those other tools that are out there? Well, I guess part of it is that we don't really get too involved in the noise. So you're right, there is a lot of noise and there's very traditional, well, so we say there's established best practices in the market for, for development tools. For instance, uh, having a DevRel program, being very active on stage in conferences and all of that is important. But what's more important than anything else is having a solution to a problem. And that's kind of where we focus a lot of our, especially marketing efforts on like, what is the real pain that we see in the marketplace? How do we identify it? And how do we show solutions to that with our product? So it could be with content, especially uh, blog post solutions, or, uh, YouTube uh, videos, those kind of things. But that's really where we focus because it can also turn people really off if they feel like they're part of a product. You know, if they're being at, like, there's one thing absolutely that all technologists hate is to be sold to. Nobody wants to be sold to, but everyone's happy to find a solution to a problem they have. So rather than push features and push our content down the throats of people, what we want to say is, look at all these problems we're finding and here's some tidy ways to solve for them. And I think that works a lot better for our kind of customer. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. I see you also have a Slack community. Obviously, a lot of people today are talking about this idea of community-led growth, or I think CLG is the term that they're throwing on to you know, make it sound even cooler than it probably is. But when it comes to community, what's your approach to community and what impact has community had on the company so far? Well, our Slack community, I mean, we did start it with the intention that it would be quite an open community, but the reality is it's mostly a place for our customers to hang out and interact with us. And that in itself is great. It's like, uh, it's a great place to get product feedback, to talk about roadmap, to share new features and in a way that makes sense to, and also release early versions of features for them to try and get feedback on. So that's kind of mini community. Uh, when it comes to bigger community, we're still kind of finding our way there because we also believe in community-led growth. And what's a bit of a challenge in our space is that there's no place where compliance, audit, and security folks and DevOps gather. Like there isn't a conference for that. There isn't a, there's no natural home. So there is, we are doing work around how do we try and gather people into a community around this? And whether that's through like, shall we say digital ways, digital means, or actually in person, we haven't figured out. Because what we know for sure is that when we go to a conference, like DevOps days is a great example. So DevOps Days is a fantastic community conference. They have them all over the world. And nearly half of the agenda is with open space sessions where attendees can propose any topic they like and folks that are interested can show up and have a conversation about things. I go to a lot of DevOps Days and nearly every single DevOps Days, someone who is not affiliated with Causely at all requests a session on compliance and audit every single time. And every single time, lots of people show up. So it's kind of like the, there's a problem everywhere that like, if you know, you know, and if you've had to deal with it, it's a real pain, but there's no, it hasn't bubbled up into the surface yet. And that's the area where we're trying to 
you know, blow on the kindling to get the fire going. So yeah, we're definitely much still in exploratory mode for this. Then mentioned there in the intro, you've raised over 3.5 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this process? Well, we've been very fortunate, as I mentioned, like we got exactly the investors we wanted for this business. And I would say that there's a little bit of luck. You kind of, it's kind of like choosing your customers, right? Investors are a sales process as well, where you generate leads, you book meetings, you take them through a funnel and you see who you'd like to get over the line and close with. So like a lot of the things you learn in B2B enterprise sales work in the fundraising arena as well. But I guess that it is different in many ways as well. There's like, because you're really getting into a relationship with your investors. So it's good not to have to rush into an investment decision. I know that there's a lot of companies out there just now who the fundraising climate has changed. It's not so easy. You're kind of running out of runway and so on. But if you can, it's all take time. I really recommend you do and find the right investors for you. And again, the best way to do that is to not need to raise funds. But yeah, I think all in all, I don't know if I have much to say other than try and find investors that understand the type of business you're in, uh, because every industry is different. And if you don't have the right fit with your investors, they're going to advise you to do different things that make sense for your type of business. Let's imagine that you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself? Well, I would come to the U.S. earlier. I think that that was uh, was partly to do with COVID and many other things, but we always knew our market was here and our opportunity was here and and our investors were here. So this was the place to be. So I would have come much earlier. Then again, like we started the business in Norway. It was actually quite a good place to start a business. You get a lot of support. But in the end, it's too small a market to, you know, if you're really going to do anything of scale, you have to come to the States anyway. So I would uh, tell myself, I'd go back, rewind the clock. I would say, come earlier to the US and really commit. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the end of Silicon Valley or demise of Silicon Valley and everyone's moving to Austin or places like Miami, but you chose to come to Silicon Valley or, or the Bay Area, you know, mm. You think that's important to be in Silicon Valley? I guess it depends. It depends what you need. But I can for sure say that like, I can understand why people would want to go and live somewhere else as well. Um, the Bay Area is not without its challenges, especially if you have a family. But I think that the upside is just so strong as well. Like I've had countless meetings when I've been here, like since I moved here, and also when I've just been here visiting, that would never happen if I had been still in Norway, because the time zones don't line up, it's so hard. Maybe we can meet in a few weeks, have my people call your people. It's rather like, yeah, I'm free tomorrow. Let's go and have a coffee. And it just happens like this and it's done. So like the the feedback loops and also just the, I guess it's creating your own luck in a sense that if you meet someone and they're able to introduce you to someone else, it happens really quick. But again, if you're on the other side of the planet, it's really hard. Maybe. Being in Austin or Miami is fine because you have close enough time zones and so on. But I think there's still something quite magical about in-person meetings. Like you do get a different connection to people. And yeah, it is nice to be able to break bread with folks. Yeah, I moved to San Francisco about a year and a half ago. And you know what I tell everyone is like, you should probably just move here. If you're in you know, B2B tech, I, I do think this is you know, one of the best places to be or the best place to be. And how I describe it to people is like, 
the density, like the number of people that are here who have, you know, been part of building big, big companies is just insane. Especially if you're looking at like downtown San Francisco, there's just so many people there who've all been through this process before they can share advice and input. And I, I think that's very hard to beat. And I, I don't know if that density exists in any of these other cities, you know, maybe it will 10 or 15 years from now, but I think right now it's, it's really hard to beat that. Yeah. And it, it does feel a little bit like a perpetual motion machine. So each generation goes through the hard work of founding companies and, and getting them somewhere or even not, you know, there's lots of folks that have been, you know, three or four times around the circle and haven't figured it out, but you know, there's just generational knowledge here that sticks around and passes it on. And those folks end up going on to, you know, become venture capitalists or advisors, fractional CMOs, all the, like you've got an ecosystem of new blood bringing in new ideas. Like the way you do a startup now is different from how you would do a startup 20 years ago. But in Silicon Valley right now, you've got people that are two or three years ahead of you and are, are in a completely different trajectory and are happy to, to share their skills and knowledge with you. Absolutely. Final question here for you, since we're almost up on time, let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision for the company? Well, it's definitely to, I mean, I'm establishing the beachhead in the US, but it's really to plant a flag and build an organization here, really succeed at solving the audit and compliance problems and security in many ways that our customers face. Because the way I see it is that, you know, more and more software is becoming critical. It's being regulated by the governments or it has to meet certain FDA approvals or like the scope of software going into high risk endeavors is only increasing. And I'm just hoping that we can help that transformation happen because we need software and we need, we need to manage the risk as we go. So if we can be a small part of that, that journey in the industry, I'd be super happy. Amazing. I love the vision. I love the approach that you're taking to building this company. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's anyone listening in that just wants to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Well, I, I guess LinkedIn is where most of the action happens for me, I would say these days, but also you can go to Causeley, sign up for our newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date with all the, with all the progress. Amazing. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know the audience is going to as well. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 